welcome everybody back for another episode of Collier Brick Corner. This is episode two. Uh, I am your host, Owen McIntyre, and with me, as always, is Riley Jimison, the second half of the Collierbird Crazy Idiots that run this whole part of the Morelia Python Radio Network. Eric has let me loose, and he will regret that at least by episode four, I promise you. Riley, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Riley, we are going through yet another Collierbird species that might be overlooked by Herp the Culture and a few other places. Tell us, what is this week's uh, snake? All right. This week's Mother Nature gem given to us is the hunterflower rat snake, Elaphe mullendorfi, uh, also commonly referred to as Mullendorf's rat snake, the red-headed rat snake, or the trinket snake. Now, uh, this snake, uh, at first glance, looks like a corn snake with a sort of a green base, with rusty reddish brown uh, dorsal blotches and some of those side rosettes that seem to be outlined with black, with maybe mm-hmm. a few black uh, lateral dashes in there here and there, but with a striking tomato red head and kind of a, a almost a bulldogier corn snake head. It looks like it looks like a um, was it years ago at the lab we had a yellow rat snake yeah that had that kind of longer head. It looks like somebody took the head of like a yellow rat snake and slapped it on an Okie tea or yeah. a Miami face. Like it's yeah. like, that's, that's what we're looking at. And that's insane. Yeah. So these things that, I mean, if you look at them, they look like something familiar, but at the same time, the color is not, yeah. And yeah, it's definitely not. Now, um, this snake was, uh, sort of named and discovered by Oscar Boatger in 1886. And the reason why he didn't name it after himself is because he's one of those few scientists that's a nice guy and doesn't like not a dill hole yeah. <laughs> or his dog. And, <laughs> and his, he named it after a German scientist, Otto oh, Franz von Mullendorf, who okay. was around 1848 to 1903. And we have a whole link on his bio, but it, he was, uh, he was into a lot of different like beetles and so things. Why do animals like the Mullendorf's rat snake get like, I mean, why is it also the hundred flower rat snake and the redheaded rat snake and the trinket snake? Like, why are there so many? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I would imagine because these things can get big. And so on a big canvas, if you got a bright green one and those blotches are red, it probably mm. looks reminiscent to like a bit of like foliage with red flowers on it. They almost look like florets with that red head. I mean, I could right. see somebody, you know, imagine if that's what it was in. They, they see it in like a bush of, of red flowers that that thing's going to blend in perfectly. You know, maybe that's where that that camouflage comes from. Was it just one of those things where they had a bunch of different species or a bunch of different snakes that were all named different things. And then upon either genetic study or further proof or further study realized that they're all the same damn thing, just different colors or patterns or whatever. Um, this one went through its fair amount of like different classifications, I think, but it always stayed in the same genus. They just sort of like, somebody else verified it or changed it or verified it or like, you know, put it in like a subfamily or, you know, just gave it its, so it went through a little bit, but it, it, uh, it sort of started out as Sinophis Mullendorfi. Okay. Uh, and, and then it was, uh, in the genus Orthriophis uh, uh, up until, uh, it got reclassified into Elaphe. Um, so it's, it's gone, it's gone around a little bit, but it's, it's been studied enough where I think they might have it right now. 
Um, okay. You know, I'm no, I'm no geneticist, but I'll tell you, um, one of the, uh, the other notable steps that went through is in 2013, a certain, uh, name. No, who, who no, name, no, uh, no. Decide, he, he tried to name it Martinakia Hoser and it was, it was, it was rejected. And it went back to Orthriophis. Oh, thank God. Like, well, I mean, but wait, what was his basis? Like, why change it? There there was no basis. Okay, thank you. you. I mean, obviously, it. but it's it's in a laffe, which is, you know, Carinata is in a laffe, Japanese mm-hmm. rat snakes. Um, so you have a wide, you have a wide, yeah, gym, right? So it I think is. that leaves a lot of room for people to maybe dive deeper and see if there is more subdivision, given how broad it seems to to us you know humans we love to overly classify and splice things down to the most minute detail well you know in my opinion i'm not even sure if carinata should be in there because they're just so weird but um yeah and and i think that's exactly why there's anybody trying to redo it is because there is so much difference so you know if it's gone through uh, a century of like reclassification here and there you know, it was bound to be grabbed by Voldemort and, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, named after, you know, his imaginary uh, friend or something. So, um, but, you know, definitely good scientists and, and proper science prevailed. And, and to this day. Um, so the Collierbridge did what the Python people couldn't do. They just told them to shut the hell up and go over there. I mean, damn. Yeah. yeah. They, right. they, well, that's the thing. They've been doing it for a really long time. <laughs> really long time. You know, we're talking 1800s here. Um, right. So, yeah, they've been doing this for a minute. Um, All right. But, yeah, these, there's a lot more uh, known about this species than some of those other rat snakes out there. And you do tend to find these in the hobby from time to time. Yeah. Um, so how big do these guys get? So these guys can get five to eight feet. They're, think of like oh. a yeah, think of like a super long corn snake or a super long gopher snake. Still oh, damn, lean. okay. <laughs> yeah, still kind of lean, but they can get big. And, you know, with that red head and a jet black eye with like the orange ring around it, dude, they're striking. Um, I mean, that that now, now I'm understanding why you were all pissed off <laughs> about oh. the ones that were in Daytona that yeah. you couldn't get. Like, I, I mean, know. I, I saw some friends taking some home and I was like, God. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, they're hundred flower rat snakes. Like, I mean, like I've heard of those, but that's not really. And now you're like, oh, and you don't understand. It's a bull snake on roids. I'd be like, son of a bitch. Like yeah. now, <laughs> yeah, and, it's a corn so, snake, but when Hulk form, like, yeah, I'm like, okay, right, right. So. And, and I think these guys are, uh, as far as their temperament, they can be, you know, placid and give you a little bit of defensiveness. But I, okay. I don't, I don't think they're known for, you know, being overly, you know, crazy or anything like that. So. Um, you know, strike one for Owen's checklist right there. They're yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it was uh, somebody uh, I was talking to somebody about buying a snake, and they're like, uh, "Just so you know, it is aggressive." But I heard that's a that's a selling point for you. I'm like, "It is. Go on." Yeah. <laughs> like it's <laughs> and, and you know, with your luck, it'll probably be a, a pea flinger or something like that. Um, no, see, those I hate. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> bite me, bite me. Keep your other stuff to yourself. Like, you know. 
Right. All right. So, and then uh, they're from China and North Vietnam. So they're another uh, another Asian species. Asian rat snake. Okay. Yep. yep. So you could probably go off of similar uh, similar husbandry or or expect a similar life lifestyle, but. It is listed that they spend a lot of time in uh, limestone caves on rocky hillsides and okay. among and nearby bamboo thickets, lightly wooded fields, riverside brush, shrubland, rocky That's areas. Like, so see, they, they, they probably hide in caves and in right. forests. They could probably inhabit different elevations at, at these like, similar areas. They probably come out for morning basking mm-hmm. and, and then go away because they are diurnal. I was about to ask which way do these cliff faces like face? Because it's like rattlesnakes will be make sure that they're in a bunch of rock outcroppings that are in with no tree fold, like no tree cover, so that when the sun's up, they can come bask and then they can also protect themselves in these rock crevices. I would imagine these guys would do the same oh, if yeah. they're living on cliff faces. So. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and and with their size, they're they're definitely capable climbers. Um, you know, if they are cruising around rock faces or on the ground, if they find a burrow, they're gonna snatch every little living thing in that burrow too. These things are big, you know. As I mean, they're just, like they're like Kribo. They're just gonna eat everything. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I bet you they eat all. Well, and it's documented that they will eat ground squirrels and small mammals. But check this out. These yeah. things are also partially arboreal. So if you're keeping these things, you definitely Go want to them. Yeah. yeah, because they have the ability and have been documented to catch bats and birds out of midair. They're going <laughs> to grab stuff. So oh, lizards and frogs could probably be on the menu. So if you're into giving them a varied diet, you know, those reptilinks and, and frog legs like and yeah. fish. And oh, yeah, th- this is like with the beauty snakes that I have. I just fill up a bowl full of rodents and fish and. Yeah, and they'll eat all. I mean, they'll just yeah. Yep. So this is this is like I think any large Asian rat snake because you kind of I almost feel like we have to break it up to there's small Asian rat snakes where you can break them if you overfeed them, right. and then there's large Asian rat snakes where you can break them if you underfeed them. So right. it's like I would want to say that these guys are going to go towards the large ones, like with cave dwellers and mm-hmm. uh, beauty snakes mm-hmm. and. Um, but it's a bunch of other stuff like that. So I would say we kind of lean towards that way with them. Yeah. And again, like a lot of those species, they do prefer cooler temperatures mm-hmm. and uh, breeding success seems to come when they're dropped down into the high fifties, low sixties for two to three months in the winter. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking a species that likes to get cool. Um, and then, you know, probably sit during the, the non-breeding season in the high seventies with a basket mm-hmm. spot, maybe around 80 or so not too hot. Um, you know, egg, yeah. uh, you're looking at five to eight eggs in a clutch or so, maybe five to 10. And, uh, you're going to incubate them high seventies to low eighties for, you know, 80 to a hundred days. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. These things, they, they're supposed to be really, really awesome display snakes, really active, engaging diurnal species. Like, you know, your Kribos and, and a lot of your yep. diurnal rat snakes, they're watching you when you're cruising. They're out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is another one of those animals where, you know, you set up a big display, plant it, perch it, put a bunch of stuff in there, and you'll get an animal that utilizes quite a bit of it. Use it all. Right. Yeah. So um, as far as, um, I mean, for food, you said 
prey species, squirrels, bats, rats, mm-hmm. lizards, frogs. I mean, everything. Like, yeah. Do we? What do we think the babies are getting going on? We're thinking like small amphibians. Uh, yeah. Even little well, lizards. Probably around probably. that, but you know, and I'm not sure. Uh, these guys are bred enough where you could probably talk to a breeder and find that. Yeah, they establish readily on like tiny pinkies, but you may okay. have to do some scenting. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the wild they're taking pretty much whatever. They seem like a generalist type of feeder, uh, yeah. but with more of a, a you know a tendency towards rodents, which makes me think their babies are probably big enough to handle you know little tiny rodents or baby birds. Okay, so how about uh, how about their vulnerability on the red list? So, according to the IUCN red list, they are listed as vulnerable. Now, okay. vulnerable is a pretty broad. Um, that's a that's a coverall. I mean, yeah, that's and a lot of it's either species are like that. A lot yeah. of coastal species with a lot of, a lot of poaching and and degradation of the the habitat. You, vulnerable is common. Right. It's also it's for species where nothing's happening to them, but if something does start happening to them, it will ha- it will move them quickly right. to endangered status. So they just tag them as vulnerable right. uh, because they are. It is one of those things. So, but there are a lot of animals that are in vulnerable that would I think surprise a lot of people that yeah. they're classified that so, way. Now these things aren't insanely rare in the hobby but you're you're probably not getting imports from them they probably used to come in and then there's just a handful of people who hung on to them but Mm -hmm. the reason these guys are listed as vulnerable is because where they're at there's a lot of over exploitation for food traditional chinese medicine no god damn it (laughs) their beautiful color with the green and the red they're definitely taken out of the wild for their hides for fashion accessories you know, and it said listed for the pet trade. I don't see that coming in too much these days. I could be wrong. I'm no expert on that. Well, I mean, there's also it, it. We also have to understand that the pet trade means, in our mind, it's to export it to the United States. But they could be exported to other countries, Japan. They could be in the pet trade in China. I mean, sure. sure. You know, yeah. for all you know, people are grabbing uh, these guys to feed to the cobras and various other places. I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's possible. So, I think, you know, one of the saving graces, I don't want to say it's the only saving grace, is that uh, it could be in worse shape. It could be in one of those, uh, um, what what would be the next category after vulnerable? It's it's threatened. Yeah, Yeah. vulnerable, threatened, endangered, (laughs) extinct. (laughs) I think that according to the IUCN red list, there are some areas uh, where there's, again, land and water protection in their habitat where it overlaps. So. As long as right. those areas maintain protection, the, there should be some population survival. Um, Do you think that there's like uh, any kind of research barrier? Because you said that they're they're also in North Korea. I mean, yeah. are they going to let you come and do snake research in North Korea? I'm. Yeah, I think that would be one of those things. And so Vietnam's hard to go study in certain parts of China are hard to study in and the rest of their territory. Yeah. I bet you there's a lot yeah. that we don't know. Um, yeah. Or at least but, more difficult now with like one of the things yeah. where we may have had, which might also it, it be why they're not readily exported for the U S pet trade. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. There's, yeah. you know, there, there's potentially populations in Laos that, that have not been confirmed or studied. So, you know, as far Jesus. as we know, there could be more of them out there in certain areas that are doing well or in areas that are also facing the same challenges. So, yeah. but, um, 
I guess the, the argument for that would be uh, if, if this is a species you really want to keep, you should definitely look at at uh, captive born and bred and, and make sure, you know, you're not it's something that's yeah, proposing. Yeah, it's available. I mean, that just kind of comes around with a lot of it. We're, we're, it's weird because we're going to be flipping that coin every episode. It's like, these are not bred here, so you should try your best to establish any wild-caught animal. Right. And then the next one, it's going to be like, these are bred here. Don't buy a wild-caught animal. It's like yeah. one of those things. So yeah. if you have the opportunity to get captive, born, and bred, that's really just doing yourself a favor because yeah. it's established in the United States. Yeah, I think if you yeah. did, if you did some asking around and you and you got a hold of the right people, you could probably track down individuals that that have a couple breeding pairs around the country here and there, and you know you could get on a list for a clutch in a year or two because you know every so often I see people getting them. So I think there's they're out there. It's just you know again they might not be the the loudest voice on Facebook sort of thing. You know, so you're not. Yeah, I mean, them right away. That's the other thing. You're going to find out a lot of stuff about. Um, you know, uh, caliber breeders, it's almost like certain boa breeders and stuff like that, where they just have maybe three or four animals they breed and then they sell all the babies to either a random person at a show or their friend who owns a reptile shop or something like that. They don't really care or advertise. So, I mean, uh, but these things are pretty cool so far. So they are vulnerable. Yep. And, and I hate traditional Chinese medicine in yep. all its forms. Um, yep. It, it is not helpful at all. Uh, but hopefully, yep, stupid, stupid crap. <laughs> um, <it's, laughs> but hopefully there's some stuff protecting them with that. But uh, we're saying that they're diurnal, so they're going to be moving around doing their fun stuff during the day. Yep. Um, they're, they're very active. Um, okay. All accounts that I've read say that they're super active. They use use all the furniture you give them, climbing and, and all that stuff. Um, you know, again, don't overheat them. Keep them in the high seventies. But uh, you know, they they like a little bit of humidity and uh, they don't like it overly wet. So if you want to keep like cypress mulch on the ground, but don't like soak it and then mm-hmm. have some branching and stuff you could give them a human hide sort of a deal or a cave or like you know missed one mossy area sort of a deal to give it a little spike once in a while to simulate some rain i don't think you need to go so far as to have like a full misting system or anything like that um, just yeah just soak it down once or twice and then yeah. just call it yeah maybe a good size water bowl something like that especially if they're going into a shed or something like that it, big colubrids can either either it's perfectly done or it's a nightmare right. when it comes to shed and that varies every shed so yeah. um and i think the reason why we probably don't see more of them in the hobby is not because they're not available but because they never came in in large quantities i would suspect and yeah, so there's you know <laughs> The people that have them have a pair because how many five to eight foot colubrids can you handle? Do you need? Exactly. (laughs) And also, like, what genetic mutations does it have? Well, now that you say that, I have read that there is some sort of a pattern mutation that was discovered based on some lineages that sort of make the dorsal patches, like, aberrant. So there's no, like, albino. Kill it. Kill it dead. (laughs) So, in, in fact, that brings me to my next point. I did see yep. somebody listing some of those babies for sale or, like, advertising that they've got a clutch of them from, you know, some het aberrant parent. So, they're definitely somewhere in the hobby. You just got to look for them. And, okay. and I, you know, that's a species that I feel like 
if anybody would be importing them, somebody like Dan Maleri or, or somebody with those. Yeah. And I, yeah. I can't think of any other time I've seen him bring them in, but yeah, I it just, it might, up. they just might not have been. And that's the other thing is that we, these are some things where we might've shot ourselves in the foot because speaking with Cameron, um, and asking him why they didn't bring in more Maclots pythons. He's like, well, when they set up what you can export for the year, they go off of what you requested last year. So they said, all right, well, last year we you exported 50 Maclots pythons, but this year you're only requesting 20. So you got your 20. And then the following year, it's like, well, last year you exported 20, but this year you're only requesting five. Like, yeah. So as the popularity in an animal goes down, then you get to zero, and then you have to try to justify right. talking to these people and say, hey, we need to bring in these. They're like, why? You didn't bring any last year. Yeah. Well, uh, and that might be something where if they were not as popular as some of the other animals that these exporter importers were bringing in, they may not have continued to bring them in. And there you go. And now it's, all, it, it's rare. It's yep. something you don't normally see. And in my opinion, big colubrids are – fun <laughs> it's like you know speaking of fun yes i'm defensive. gonna i'm gonna throw some one more little note out there that i know is gonna get you hyped and therefore stir the hype get some people excited about this because we're not going to be able to bring them in and get them working in the hobby if we don't have some excitement so that's what we're doing yep, yep. so this species can be flighty uh-huh. They can, you know, tolerate some handling, but you will get the typical colubrid tail rattling, like the clue, like uh, Kribos when they breathe audibly, and the, the deep hiss. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. And these things will turn around and gape at you with the puffing and the yeah. musk. So these things will make you, yeah, yeah. Oh Mine, god, one for the musk, but they'll do the full gaping at you, dude. These things will turn around and give you some attitude. If they yeah, are it's... not having it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I my pine snake right now. Every time I go to feed her, she gets so pissed off. She does the um, pine snake, pine snake open mouth flare mm-hmm. up, Darth Vader like hiss, and oh, I'm like, yeah. that's cute. Like I remember my blue beauty babies used to be just tons of posture and twitchy, and now they've calmed down and they're not as fun. But it's <laughs> like now that they're adults and eight feet long, it's they've 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 chilled, yeah. but. Um, it's something about the defensive posture is very cool, but you know, I hate musking. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. My, uh, my Madagascar giant hog nose, I leave them alone specifically because they are muskers. So I, yeah, I have a cage set up for my pair and I'm going to put them together when I have the courage to do it. Like it's, uh, it's ready. I just okay. haven't had the courage to do it. And as soon as you do, you're going to throw them together. They're going to go run to the same corner and cuddle together. Look at you like you're the scary monster. And you're going to be like, dang it. They're just fine. Right, well, uh, that or they're just going to puff and hiss at me. And I, yeah. Yeah. So either way, um, I bet you these snakes do a lot of that, that hissing and a puffing. Hissing, yeah. 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 The, so. the, 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 I've only touched your log and you're in there going, <laughs> yeah. like, okay, got it. Yeah. I, w- I would you. not, I would not put it past. Uh, these this species to have that in their repertoire behaviors you know again like anything else i would imagine they would uh you know probably calm down with some handling especially if you're talking about captive born and bred babies but uh you never know they seem like one of those those species where there'd always be a couple in the clutch that are just 
angry, not happy. Yeah. Just, this is just never going to be okay. Yeah. So I bet mm. you there's always one or two in there. So like I said, that, you know, that kind of interesting behavior and personality to, uh, to a snake that looks like a Christmas tree with like red lights all over. That's kind of cool. Yeah. The red head definitely does like pack a punch. Like I said, it's, it's like somebody took a corn snake and gave it steroids. Like it is, yeah, they're very, very cool. I yeah. mean, that's a that's a cool animal. Yeah. So and and fortunately, there's a lot of cool information out there on the because we do have a pretty well established, you know, handful of people with them in the hobby. So we know a fair amount about them um, and you probably shouldn't need to import. This is one of those things. This is going to be one of those weird episodes where we have a lot of information about the animal and there are breeders in the United States. I mean, I keep imagining that we're going to keep running into more and more animals that we don't know. And we're going to have a lot of question marks on care and captive this and this, that, and the other thing. And then the red list is going to be like, they exist. It's like, thank you. Thank you very much. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, One so we will we will most certainly be getting into some of those uh, some of those you know species that um, you've heard of or seen photos of or some wildlife photographers capture out there once in a while, and there will be some that are almost household names um, that we'll get into. But uh, yeah, we're definitely gonna hit you know all sorts of variety in that. Like so, you know, we've got a whole list going, but we can get yeah. into something called the. Uh, the scap sticker. Uh, what? Yeah, I said it. Uh, uh, make make that one the next one. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> I don't even. Yeah. I mean, what the hell that is? So, all right. Yeah, they're they're cool looking. I, I won't spoil it, but yeah, we've it, got quite a quite a list of different things going on out here, and some of which I think the hobby knows and has forgotten. And there's a handful of people out there that have always loved them. And they're just yeah. one of those species that you just got to stop and take a moment and look at and appreciate. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where I think uh, a lot of times the hobby got picked up by a runaway train, which was, you know, morphs and this, that, and the other thing. But, I mean, when I was coming up, Will Bird was working with cow suckers. And it's like, what the hell is that? Yeah. And, like, you know, and now I'm sitting here, I'm like, who works with cow suckers? Like, I don't yeah. know what to do with that. Yeah. So, yeah, but he had a ton of them. And yep. all these different stuff. And then there's also the joy of like certain colubrid species and certain ones in the United States. You can go and get them yourself mm-hmm. and then bring them home and raise them. And yeah, like if you think when I do this trip to West Texas with NPR that if I find a Mexican hog nose, it's not coming home with me. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Don't um, hurt for a reason. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's awesome though. So we'll definitely, we have a big list of a bunch of different color bits. We'll go through that, but is there anything else we want to throw out here and add for the, uh, the hundred flower rat snake before we get off of here? Um, you know, all I would say is that if you've been looking for a cool colubrid that if you like the look of certain corn snakes and rat snakes, and you're, you're one of those, those people that just likes that whole group of, of animals that are very active, diurnal, cool, unique rat snakes. This is probably, actually, I'd say this has to be somewhat at the top of your list, uh, for like lifers to keep just they're unique they're beautiful they get big enough where they're an impressive display animal you can really 
embellish their enclosure and, and do something really fun, however that, you know, ends up going for you. And I just think they're they're kind of one of those pinnacle colubrid species that if you wanted to have something that's unique and different but is definitely available, this would be it. Cool. I mean, I'm, I'm going to chalk them up there with the big colubrids like Kribo yeah. and Beauties and stuff like that. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. So um, make sure you guys tune in next week uh, for some for another episode of Colubrid Corner. We'll be covering – what's that snake you just said? <laughs> We're going to go over a scap sticker. I think I'm pronouncing that right. S-K-A-P-S-T-E-T-E-E-K-E-R. Scat Jesus, story. whatever, whatever. We'll, we'll all figure out what the hell that is together. It's so, European. It's European. That's all you got to know. So we'll do that. Um, and then uh, and then after that one, we yeah. will do one that you and I have been talking about. We'll do the Slowinski's corn. Yes, yes, yes. Oh. And joke and bite me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> so those will be the next two episodes coming up for sure. Sweet. All right. So uh, – Make sure you guys, again, check back next time for another episode of Colubrid Corner. Uh, I am Owen McIntyre. That guy over there is Riley Jimison. Uh, we are a proud member of the Morelia Python Radio Network, and we'll see everybody back here next time. Bye now. Later. Later.